I actually liked the fact that people wanted to be around me because I had access. And so that was really what I felt was acceptance. This is Recovery Radio, and I'm Brandy, the Recovering Addict. Today with us, we have a special guest, Pastor D. Why not choose today? Everybody can get sober tomorrow. Everybody can get sober next week. Why not today? Everybody calls me Pastor D. I'm here in the Everett area. I claim the city for mine, so it's my city. I'm from Oakland, California. Predominantly black city. 1970, I was born. Definitely like right in the height of the birth of the Black Panthers and the Free Huey, and just, just kind of in that era of ideology and things that were going on in America. Moved to Mount Lake Terrace, predominantly white. Total culture <laughs> shock. Um, I was actually afraid to go to school. It just kind of freaked me out a little bit. I'll never forget late in the 70s, Roots came out with Alex Haley. I was like, I'm never going to school again. You know, that's it. And so it was just kind of one of those things where as a, as a young black kid, you know, trying to find your identity. One, I was too black to be really white in this community. But every summer, every year, we'd go back to Oakland, California for three months. And because of how I spoke, they would say, you, you talk white, you, you speak white. So and I was too white to be black really try to fit in. And on one hand, we have a lot of preachers in our history, in our family, but we also have a lot of gangsters. You go to church on Sunday, you get your best dress, the big hats, the nice dress and everything. And, and then Monday through Saturday, everybody lived like hell and curse. And, and so, yeah, it was really hard to find my way. Like I said, I had a lot of cousins who dealt. I mean, I had aunties that were, you know, prostitutes. I had uncles that were pimps. So the first time I used any drug was alcohol. And it was at a party my mom and dad had. We'd wait for them to get drunk. And me and my little brother would sneak out of our rooms. 13 years old, we kind of started junior high school, seventh grade. Um, that summer, shrooms and, and, and marijuana were the big things. My parents were at a party and she says, uh, my mom says, I have some cigarettes on top of the china nuts. Grab them and bring them to me. And I grabbed them I'm like, this is a joint. This is not, you know, but she didn't know that I did. I knew the difference. I kind of smile as I hand it to her, like, you know, like this is a secret that I knew. But from that point, I'd say from about 13 on, I mean, I was probably smoking weed every day, drinking at least three to four times a week. The biggest thing was when, when cocaine hit, crack. Oh. I turned about 15-ish or so. When I first started using, it didn't make me feel really anything. I actually liked the fact that people wanted to be around me because I had access. And now I'm accepted. And so that was really what I felt was acceptance. When I was 33, I remember that I was the same age that Jesus died. I know I was using then. I really started getting sober about 35. I know that there was a point after my late teens, I had a son, but I knew that that was the point when I didn't want to do what I used to do, yeah. but I couldn't stop. And that's when I knew I had a problem. There's this piece of matter, I call it a piece of matter, as big as a rock, told me when I could go to sleep, told me when I could go to work, told me I had to go to work, told me I had to go steal this, right? And, yeah. I, and it was like one of those moments that I go, how can this piece of thing tell me, you know, basically pimp me? That's when I knew uh, I think there's, I think you have a problem. I was in, in jail, but I'll never forget thinking to myself, I was happy to be in jail because I couldn't get to the drug. That's a scary yeah. place to be. My mom smoked weed here and there and, and had a drink and she was never an addict. And I'm very grateful for her. She sat me down at the kitchen table. You know, she loved the Lord and I was living a really hard lifestyle. So she told me basically, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you think that you're not gonna make it, that your life may end, would you promise me this? I'm looking at her, I'm like, okay. You're like, don't get all seriously freaky on me, right? Yeah. And she says, uh, would you just do me a favor and call on the name of the Lord? Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I I thought, whatever, mom. And she was just, and she would not let me up from that table. And, and, And I said, yeah, okay. I was looking at doing about 70 years in prison. I was arrested for attempted murder, felon in possession of a firearm. It was a total of seven charges. And I'll never forget sitting in the middle of that jail cell thinking, I'm not going to make it. And there it was. And there was that moment. Yeah, here was my mom in my head. I said a prayer and just said, man, if you're there, the big cloud in the sky, if you're there, I need you. He used that moment. Well, I didn't get sober right away, but that was definitely the turning point where I... Yeah, the I, mind starts to open. Yeah, I was like, I, I need something different. Maybe this is not the popular thing to say, and I, maybe I shouldn't. But for me, I had to accept the fact that relapse is a part of recovery. I had to accept that. Because if I would have never accepted relapse as a part of recovery, I would have gave up. Well, when you want this, when you want this, and looked at what I wanted... It was a hundred miles apart. I thought, how in the world am I ever? Yeah, that sense of totally unattainable. Like, yeah, and I'll be really honest with you. There were some. There were some meetings. I don't know if it's on here, but if, if I could be transparent, like, yeah, there were yeah, some meetings sure. I absolutely hated. One thing about recovery is that just because you go to me, just because you own a tool, doesn't make you a mechanic. I'll never forget one of the best things. I think I had like thirty days clean or something, and I'm pink cloud, and I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah this, is, this is awesome, and this. guy, this guy, man, you know, at the time I wanted to hurt him, but he, he walks up to me and he goes, do everybody a favor, man. Go get a bottle and get out of our face. Oh, wow. That's pretty powerful. And I was like, what? what? You know, I just like speechless. When I was trying to get sober, there were certain cues that I would see. I'd go to my mom's house and she'd say, hey, son, and she would pick up her purse gradually and she'd walk out of the room. I'm like, wow, you think I'm going to steal your purse? It hits home, huh? Yeah, it, you know, just all these little things. A big, big moment for me was a really close friend of mine, a really close friend of mine was getting married, and he asked me to be his best man. And then, you know, about a week before he got married, he, uh, you know, he just said, no, you know, yeah. because he was afraid that I would be on a relapse. It was those moments that I went, that's what, that's my reality, right? I mean, I can paint this pink cloud and I can paint this picture of what I thought it was, but when I really begin to look at the people around me. You see the devastation, the trail yeah, that you've left behind and it you. was it was tough. So here's what happened. So after that, I thought, well, I don't know what, what this is going to look like. So I was always a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So I always prayed. Always prayed, you know, and I always say things like, Lord, I really need you to, to show up in, in my life and this and that. And uh, a couple things happened. Obviously, my my um, my girlfriend at the time of nine years or just said I had enough. Yeah. I love you, but I can't do this anymore. So that was tough. So I lost a lot. And it was just, and I think all the devastation, you know, having to move in with my parents. I'll never forget sleeping on my parents' uh, living room floor. You know, they'd take their valuables and go upstairs before they went to bed at night. And just yeah. that constant reminder. Of, I got sober for three months and I relapsed. And then I went sober for six months and I relapsed. I went to nine months and relapsed. And then I went a year and relapsed. It was the fact of not quitting, right? Because I could have said after that three months, ah, screw it. Yeah. I could have said after that, okay, I made it six months this time, ah, screw it. It's hard and, not to beat and, yourself up. Yeah, it is. It's, I used to tell my wife, there's nothing that you can tell me. All I have to do is look in the mirror. You can call me a piece of garbage. You can call me every name in the book. But here's the truth. When I look in the mirror, I'm all those things and more. You don't have to beat me up because I, I, I do a pretty good job. Today, that's that's what I tell myself. that <laughs> I, I judge myself and I'm harder on myself than anybody, anybody ever could else. be.
I did some meetings, I was doing okay, and then I, I went on a really hard core relapse, and that's when I got arrested. And that's where I was kind of, you know, really fighting to really my real recovery. But when I met my wife, when my true recovery happened, uh, she showed me family. Family. It wasn't like, I mean, I had my mom and my dad, but it was always conditional with them. It was always conditional. And what happened is I, I had relapsed and I, I wanted to commit suicide. I was on Highway 99 and a big truck drove, you know, diesel drove by and I thought, that's all Just ended. Step right in front of it. Just step right in front. That's, all it it's takes. easy. I said a prayer. And I said, Lord, I believe you. I believe you are who you are. But I need you right now this second. And if you don't show up, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna walk in front of this this truck. Mm -hmm. And I was sincere in my prayer. And I wasn't just this wasn't just like a you know, Lord, show up kind of thing. Car pulls up and it was my old buddy. And he pulls up and he says, Listen, man, before you say anything, I'm saved. And I didn't really know what the word saved meant. I mean, I knew that it had something to do with the church, but he goes, I'm going to give you this church address. I go, why? He says, man, I wasn't even going to stop. He goes, I seen you and I was going to keep going. The Holy Spirit told me to stop to talk to you. I have no idea why. And I try to hold back tears because I know 25 seconds ago, yeah. I just said a prayer. And I thought there's no way God doesn't work that way. Okay, it's a coincidence. You know what I mean? Yeah, you instantly push back that there's any God, any being that could could literally respond that fast. And so, but I didn't commit suicide that day because of it. And so I went home and I talked to my wife and I said, you'll never guess what happened. And I kind of shared with her. So the following Sunday, she made church. She's like, we're going to that church. It was beautiful. I kind of connected with the pastor at the time. He kind of shared a little bit of his story. And I went, whoa. And it was the first time I ever heard from the pulpit that pastors were people you know they weren't perfect that they weren't perfect right and i always thought that when you went to the church you'd always tell these stories about god but it was never personal like you know and so he kind of shared just a part of his story and i was like whoa and you related and i related right and so i, I kept coming back because of that i thought i, I need to come back it made me feel good right that i wasn't a screw-up that there was hope what i heard was the message of hope was actually what i heard yeah because that's what i was looking for somebody that can get me out because i thought i was the worst addict ever like, you know, I think we all do. I, I, yeah. Right. So I thought there's no, you, you guys don't even know my story. Right. Yeah. So I put myself in, in treatment. I was going to Bible study and going to prayer meeting and then church. And I was doing two NA meetings and then my once a week outpatient treatment. Everything I did had to do with either church or recovery. I think it was probably about my fifth meeting, fourth or fifth meeting treatment. The lady, she, she basically said, well, you, you can't do anything for God until you get sober. And I looked at her and I says, well, I'm going to get sober because of God. See, my plan had to be my plan. The problem was I was trying to follow everybody else's plan. That's right. Everybody else's recovery. But that was their recovery. So I wound up just diving into the church, man. So anytime the church doors were open, I was here. This was the, 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 the time I got a year clean. And that's a big milestone. Yeah. So, so I got milestone. a year and I relapsed. And in my relapse, I ran across some old people. They're looking at me like, dude, what are you doing here? And I'm like, what are you talking about? What I'm saying, what are you doing? You know? I was driving down the street and I was actually in the car with a, with a preacher's son. You know, I had a vision of me picking people up off the, off the street, right? I was telling this guy, he must have thought I was just high. And he goes, well, how are you going to do that? You're here with me. I go, you're right. And I stopped the car. I go, get out of my car. He goes, what? I go, get out. I'm done. And I, you know, I took the, the drugs I had and just threw them out the window. I was like, what are you doing? You know, and I'm like, you know, I'm done. It was like I knew. Literally that vision. I don't know how to explain it. I was just picking people up off the curb and I knew that that's what I was supposed to do. I didn't know what that meant. I went home 
my wife had my bags packed at the, at the front door. And so I walked in, I seen my, my, my luggage that was packed, and I thought, that's fair, right? And she said, listen, I'm going to quit if you quit. So I need you to fight. Never forget those words. She says, if you give up, then I'm going to give up. And I said, okay. Never went back after that. And the reason why I say that is this, is that now what we do, my passion is I don't care where people are, how far they've fallen, I'm going to be here. I'm not going to be the guy that says you're never going to change because that's who I was. People always told me, you ain't going to change. You need to be the same thing. I'll go, I'd go to jail and the, and the Snohomish County Sheriff's would be like, welcome home, Donald. And that attitude that my wife spoke to me that day, she says, if you give up, I'll give up. And I thought to myself, then I'm going to fight. Because I, at that moment, I realized I'd already lost one family. God had restored and given me a beautiful wife and kids. I wasn't going to make that mistake again. And uh, so I fought. This is Vision Church on the corner of California Lombard. Um, Actually, I gave my life to the Lord in this building. So it's amazing that God actually gave me the same building. Now, the pastor's changed since then, but I really want to put this out there. Even there was a time when my pastor told my wife it'd be okay if she divorced me because even they thought he's never going to change. Thought I was no hope. I was hopeless. You're never coming back. So today, why I do what I do and the reason why we show up every day, because my hope is that one day when the addict says, I'm done. When he said I've had enough, that he knows how jacked up he is, what he's wearing, how he smells, good, bad, or indifferent, that he can come to a place that he's going to find help, he's going to find hope, he's going to find direction, he's going to find love, and more importantly, he's going to find support. My ulterior motive is that people get introduced to a God who loves them. And that's why I feel like what we do here is we're giving people access to recovery. We're giving people access to, to a God, a father who actually loves them. They might never even had a a father who loves them how God loves them. My wife was, she was diagnosed, I forgot, it's called HELP syndrome. Um, She was pregnant with our now uh, seven-year-old son. Um, That was my last, uh, when I relapsed. Mm -hmm. I was in relapse when she gave birth to him. I showed up at the hospital. Anyways, long story short, we wound up staying together. My pastor couldn't believe him. After about two years, he goes, hmm, he heard about this thing called Celebrate Recovery in California. So he sent us and he thought, maybe this will help. Here's something, you know, because he has, he doesn't know, he didn't know recovery. He didn't know, you know, he was one of those people who, you know, stopped using and was okay. You know, Jesus spoke to him and that was it. You know, he wasn't like me. Right. He They didn't know what, what this was. So they go here, here's a, try this on. Right. And so, which I'm very grateful for because he didn't have the answer. At least he had enough courage. Pastor T, I love you, man. At least he had enough courage to say, Here's what I don't know, but here, you go find out. We okay. came back from from California, man, and I'm telling you, I'm like, I am going to preach this to the world, right? What it did is I was introduced to a guy named Paul out of the Bible. One of the scriptures says this. It says, for the things I do, I don't want to do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Amen. Oh, what a wretched man. Who's going to save me from this flesh? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. And so I thought, that's me. I keep doing the things I don't want to do, and I'm not doing the things I want to do. And I'm thinking, was this dude an addict? I literally thought this guy might be an addict, so I started to study. How did he get it right? And that was kind of my my introduction to Celebrate Recovery. And it, what it is, it, it's kind of in a meeting the Bible. And so it gives you biblical principle for each step. For me, it was perfect because I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I loved recovery. 
somebody heard me give the lesson and they're like, you need to be preaching. I go, no, I'm not a preacher. I'm just, listen, I just want people to get recovery. Pastor, she heals. Well, since you've been doing this recovery class, why don't you invite all these addicts? Because I kept saying, you got to come see these guys. And, like, and he was like, well, they're addicts. They're not. And I'm like, trust me, you got to come see these guys. Yeah. So, so he says, why don't you invite them to church? I go, okay, I'll invite you know, our little group to church. Well, that group, that little group was about, you know, 25 people. And so 25 new people show up at church. And so one of the things that he used to do, he'd say, so if this is your first time here, raise your hand. So no one raised their hand. And he's looking at, and he's like, kind of looking around and he goes, well, if this is your second time, raise your hand. Well, no one raises their hands, right? And then he's kind of going, he's looking at me like, how come none of these guys are raising their hands, right? And uh, so after service, he's like, you know, what's up with that? And I go, well, they're not, to them, this is their church. They've been coming to NA groups here and celebrate recovery here for a year. And you have no idea who they are. And they, you know, and they brought their friends and their family. And, and it was kind of like this whole thing kind of hit him like a ton of bricks. I get that. You know, like he was go, basically going, man, he, there's a culture of people who love God. We're just messed up, you know, and, and we're and, and through recovery, right? We're learning who we are. We're learning how to feel again, right? That's kind of a hard thing. Your your Ooh, feelings yeah. come back and it's a weird thing that's happening, right? And it's a perfect opportunity to allow people to understand who they are through not only the word of God, but through through uh, celebrate recovery, through the steps. I love when people do their steps and now they're having a conversation and they're going, wait a minute. You're kind of like me, so I'm not this outcast person. I'm not this person no one understands me. People came to realize is that everybody in the church or anywhere else had a story. And what I loved about fellowship, right, was you and I can have a conversation and I can tell you that I want to put a bullet in my head or that's how I'm feeling. And you can relate and understand. And that's all I think I was ever looking for, that someone that I could talk to that knew where I was coming from, knew how I felt and was okay with me. It was me having a problem and another human being understanding my problem and can relate. One of the things when I first started church or pastoring a church, just side note here. So we when we were doing CR, everybody said, you can't do that. I go, yeah, I can't. And so what happens, we're doing CR meetings. That's all. And then, then I was telling people, go find a church. You're like, dude, we are a church. This is our church to us. This is church. And it literally birthed into what you see today as yes, a church. Is. You guys... We do celebrate recovery. We do the food program. You know, we, we, do, we have a community meal. We, we, we give clothes to the homeless. We give blankets, right? You guys did the school drive, the, the carnival for backpacks, backpack, the school supplies yeah. for kids. You guys are doing some wonderful, marvelous and, things. Right. And, and if people can feel like they have hope, if I can just put that seed that says one more day, that's a, man, that to me, huge, huh? that's so huge to me. Doesn't right? I just feel the hole inside? It, it feels super, I like that feeling. This is my life. Like when I was in use, when I was using, I didn't see a way out. I thought this was it. This would be the best my life ever would be. And then I got introduced to recovery. I got introduced to uh, being free. I got introduced to, you know, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which even freed me even further. It was almost like recovery had a secret. Exactly. I, I look at them on the street corner at the same time, I'm like, if you only knew. If you only knew that you can be free, that you don't have to live like this. You don't have to sell your soul, sell your body, sell a piece of your soul to get high, that you can actually be free. It yeah. made me cry. It made me weep. And now it's it's instead of weeping, I'm like, I'm doing something about it.
I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the church that never sleeps. I'm gonna I'm gonna be everything that so so in the world, right? They said that you'll never do this, Donald, you'll never get sober, you'll always be in prison, you'll always go to jail, you'll all this will be your life. And then so I got saved and sober, and they go, You can't build a church with a bunch of addicts because there's no money. Uh, no one's gonna come, no one's gonna do this. And, and you know what? We're still here. Here you are today. And we're still fighting. And we're still doing 16 years later. 16 years later. And you know what? We're going to continue. And I believe because of of just even like even this podcast can be, I know it sounds crazy, but can be so much more bigger than you and I can even realize. Even fathom. You know what I'm saying? And what if we might not ever meet the person that might hear this and go, I want my life to change, right? But here's the crazy part. Let's say somebody gets sober. And let's say their their son or their daughter has the next president. Because they heard this message of hope. They got sober, had kids, and it changes the course of history. I started thinking like that, and I'm like, man, do you realize what we can do to this world? We could change history, man. You know, and so that's what I feel like we're doing. I feel like we're literally changing history. One of the hardest things I ever did was look in the mirror. But today, I can look in the mirror, at least smile at what I'm doing. To where there was times I looked at the mirror and I couldn't look at some of the things I've done. And some of the shame. I look in the mirror sometimes and I just say, I love you. You're worth it. You're worth it. If we don't tell us that we're okay and that we love us, the world won't. And so we have to be worthy of our own love. Yes. And because a lot of us addicts don't feel like we can be, even love ourselves. Well, we can. But we can my hope and my dream for this area is to build a community and we're calling it the dream center so matthew barnett la from the la dream center wrote a book called the church that never sleeps and i read the book i couldn't put it down it was one of those books that i couldn't i really really spoke to me so some of the ideas definitely from the la dream center but but what this community I thought I want to build a dream center or my concept of what I would call the dream center, which is a place to where any addict at any moment in time could knock on the door and get help. Sometimes we, I think that we miss that opportunity. You know, what if it happens at two o'clock in the morning, no one's open. There is too many resources. Everybody was trying to build their own ship. And that's the biggest problem. People can build a great tire, a great seat, a great, trunk a great engine right but nobody has put the car together yet and that's the issue and that's why there's these resources that are there but there's so many gatekeepers the gatekeepers are in front of the money you know that if you don't do it directly the way they think it should be done but here's the biggest issue with that if you've not been an addict how are you then going to say how it should be done Mm-hmm. And I really think that that community really needs to meet the community that they're trying to help. There's resources, yes. There's some lack. Yeah, there is some lack. I'm not going to say there's all the resources that we need. There's There is still a lot of gaps. We call it the in-between. So this person says, I want to get help. And they go, cool. So we have a bed for you in two weeks. So now this guy has a hope of treatment, but the treatment's coming in two weeks. So he needs a safe place to stay. He needs to eat, so he's going to have to have some food, you know, and that's the problem is right there. So the, so there's people that say, hey, we're trying to give you treatment, but yeah, but by the time those two weeks get there, he's an addict. He could be anywhere from 
He's, he's going to have to get high. He's going to have to keep getting high until he gets detoxed. He might be in Seattle trying to cop a bag of dope when the door opens for him here in Everett to and actually go to treatment window, and huh? miss that window. I work at a place. It's a diversion center. This is actually a place where they can come off the street, and this yeah. is where they idle until the bed opens. There's not enough room. One of the things I love about the program that we do here, right, the feeding program, and kind of like when we're doing our community dinner, I, I like people to come and serve, right, because they're always seeing their friends coming in and they're going, dude, what are you doing here? So I'm serving, I, I got, you know, 60 days cleaner, I've got 90 days clean, and I'm, I'm doing service work here, right? And so now there's this addict that's looking going, I got hope all of a sudden. What about career? We're, we're trying to put people back to work. I'm trying to get the community together because right now, if you have a felony, you can't get a job. And if you can't get a job, you can't take care of your family. And let me tell you this, that most people that, that are addicts have a felony because they did something to get high. So, so, so it really puts a, a, a damper on, on things. And so they're limited. So my hope is that the community can help get together and say, okay, let's get some training for these guys. Let's, let's, let's give them some, some new career opportunities because some of us have been asked for really long. When I first got a job here, they could only go back 10 years on my record. Right. But today, just that little bit of time and I hope. I like this quote or whatever from Russell Wilson. One of the things he says is, why not us? I take that to the act really like, why not get sober today? Why not today? Why not choose today? Everybody can get sober tomorrow. Everybody can get sober next week. Why not today? You don't waste time. Time's precious. Time's precious, man. And I can only promise that if you choose life, it'll never, as much as garbage that we can go through, if you choose life, you'll never go wrong. Yeah, well, that was Pastor D with us today with an amazing testimony. I'm glad you came and shared your story. I'm Randy, the Recovering Addict, and this is Recovery Radio. You are better than nobody, but there's nobody better than you.